Hello, everybody, and welcome back again to episode 12 of the 21st Century Men's Podcast. Today, we'll be discussing the topic of grief, uh, something that can be defined in many different ways. Uh, but looking at a Google uh, definition for us here to start things off, grief is a strong, sometimes overwhelming emotion for people. Um, so that's just one of the things that I found on on the net. We'll now pass over to Jake to kick the conversation off, please. Jacob, over to you. Thank you for that very formal introduction <laughs> it sounds like I've, we're at a I've, funeral. Not, I've, I've not long finished work sounds like we're at a funeral already anyway, i'm gonna i'm gonna pass the main speech over now to jake <laughs> uh, he's gonna say a few words at the altar yeah so with grief being probably my specialist subject this week i thought it was best to really you know go through with the listeners about my experience of grief itself um so people can really understand me as a person and obviously you guys have your own experiences with grief as well and i think it'd be it's a topic of conversation that not really many people talk about so just just as a backstory obviously my mum died um five years ago now and i can't remember yeah we've spoken about it in the mental health chat it but uh, anyone that didn't listen to that, that's basically what it is. And this is probably my story on how, you know, grief affects us all in different ways and how you slowly never get over it, but actually start to recover. Um, so what I found on the interwebs, much like Tyrone, was that there are actually five stages to grief. So the five I got, well, some say five, some say seven. The five I got was denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Now, I don't have a clue what bargaining means, but I do know what what the other four mean. And yeah, I definitely think they are stages that someone who is bereaved goes through. But I don't necessarily think that all grief is from bereavement. Um, what do you guys think on grief itself? Don't know, but I'm bar- um, googling what bargaining is in grief. Bargaining well, stage of grief. While you do that, I'll give my spiel. Um, I think it's it's just another one of those words that can be relatively subjective, um, depending on experiences and what people have been through. Would depend on whether they decide to describe something as grief or not. So grief can be anything really. It could be grieving a, a passed away pet. You could be grieving the loss of a job. But the actual, the definitions that I came across are all in and around the loss of something, which in turn make people turn to grief or it, it forces their hand into grief. So you gave a good example there of your mother passing that forced your hand into grief. But I'm sure Carl's got some other experiences where he may have, felt a, a form of grief as, as such mm. um what what read them in order again in a second because then i'll read what bargaining is and see if it makes sense or not denial anger mm-hmm. bargaining depression and acceptance okay so basically according to google bargaining was to kind of two two change uh two types of bargaining 
there's bargaining to change the outcome or bargaining to change the timing. So it's when in your head you try to explain things that you could have done differently or better. So, for example, stuff like if only we had a, got a second chance or a second opinion to do this, or if only we could have got taken her to the hospital sooner. Um, so it's kind of like trying to uh, justify or kind of like question some of your helplessness and vulnerability that comes through loss and attempt to kind of like regain control by answering all these questions. And then what was the one after that was the depression. Depression, yeah. So so I imagine that's when you, you've run out of questions or you've, you know, you succumb to the vulnerability and you kind of go into that slump, into that slope of depression about things because you, you realize there isn't anything that you can change anymore now. Yeah, I think, I think the depression side is basically the same as the acceptance side, but it's your emotional acceptance, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, yeah. and I imagine they all kind of interlock as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, and I think grief, well, interlocking, but I'm talking about locking in a sense. I feel like grief can sometimes, it maybe you can pause that um, the depression and, and acceptance bit by sometimes just closing and locking off feelings, and then maybe there's an, uh, something later down the line that reopens that up again um them same feelings or puts you back into the cycle of of grief in a sense um i know like for example for myself when uh, i found out that i potentially might not be able to have kids anymore i kind of went into a stage of um not really bargaining because like the scenario was like what else could i really do with, with getting mumps in a sense but like the kind of a depression I never really hit that in a sense. There's been times when I've been sad about it, but I wouldn't say I've been absolutely bogged down like I what like I felt depression to be before in a sense. So I feel like mine's kind of been locked in a box that point of grief. Whereas if like once I get into a serious relationship later down the line and I start trying for children and then can't, I think that's maybe when that cycle of grief might start to kick in again and I start to realize actually it, there's no real light at the end of the tunnel and then I might go through that depression phase depending on how long that might be then after that I might come to accept it because right now I feel like I accept it but I feel like there could be a key point later down in life where it, something might unlock them feelings again of grief yeah like you, you have the opportunity to like possibly be able to do it at some point so that full grief hasn't kicked in until you actually are told definitely no yeah, like a full answer. And you lost your grandma as well, right, Jake? Yeah. So there was, there was some. That was so all did quite that quickly as well. I, wasn't can't, it? I can't remember. I, yeah, I can't remember which way it round was fully. Grandma. But did that unlock things either way round of, of feelings again and start a cycle again? Well, no, because I'd never really got out of the first cycle. Um, it was my grandma first, and then my mum within a month. But there was what I was reading online was about double grief yeah um, where you can exp you don't fully you don't you it's go oh, compounded grief or something like that where it makes it where you're still experiencing the first thing and then the second thing comes along um but yeah like i, I was going to say like you can't and there's no light there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel for you but can't bring a dead mom back mm. yeah <laughs> No, not quite. But, <laughs> and we've all—it's quite funny because 
Jake's always had you. I don't know whether it's been a coping mechanism or what, but I mean, early stages on, like you and your brother, and I think we maybe should talk about this because this is a maybe it's a coping mechanism or it's a, just an actual part of grief for a lot of people. But you, I felt like you two couldn't necessarily compute it in your head fully, and then one of your ways of dealing about it was sometimes being jokey about stuff. Um. So have you got any kind of like you know thoughts yourself, Jake, about why that why that was? Um, well, I've never actually spoken to anybody properly that uh, has lost a parent, so I don't know whether mm-hmm. that's like a normal way people cope. But I mean, that's how I've coped with a lot of things in life, really, just like laugh and say you don't cry kind of thing. So I don't necessarily think it's. I think it was basically what my family have always done in terms of they always just joke about everything so that's that to deal with difficult situations in general yeah so that kind of felt like the default one for for all of us really i assume but i would like to know from other people's opinions who have lost parents or partners what what they how they what do, do they have default coping mechanisms that you can now hmm. see further down the line I could see similarities in a sense because obviously it's a completely different thing. But when you know we've we've joked about um, we never really joked about me being a Jaffa cake, but we joked about Noki being a, ja- a Jaffa. So then we've said like I've heard that joke. I've said that joke in a sense towards myself sometimes. Just a quick one: is it is, is is a Jaffa well, actually short for Jaffa cake, or have you just made that up? I don't know. I don't know why we used to call everyone. Called Noki Jaffa, to be honest, or Jaffa cake. I mean, what, I know exactly what. what, what the beat. Why he, is that? He used to have full penetrative sex without any um, protection. No, but I mean, no. I mean, yeah, okay. I know we th- we we thought he might not be able to have kids because he was doing everything without, yeah, naughty um, naughty contraception, but still n- managed to never get pregnant in a sense. But I mean, like, where does the term Jaffa come from? Because Jaffa is derived from the title. Of a fruit company whose oranges are seedless. Ah. Oh, Fucking shit. Hell. So you could call them bananas as well that... now because they're now seedless. Are they? Well, they're not noticeably seeded. They used to be dark. So, seeded. So the Jaffa cakes come from a fruit that are seedless? Yeah, you can. You always get oranges that haven't got seeds in them. Oh, right. Okay. So you're a Jaffa because me and, me and Nokia are seedless. Yeah, basically. Yeah. You can't spread your seed. All oh, right. I thought it was. I I thought it was just like, but I, I, I didn't even think that was the link of the term. But yeah. Anyway, we kept calling him a Jaffa, and I I sometimes call myself a Jaffa. But now I understand that term. But yeah, I used to make jokes about it, and then when, in a way, when talking to people, um, it's kind of like come up in conversations, and I think I've been the main person who obviously brings it up rather than being asked about it because obviously it's not just linked to I don't just tell people hey I can't have kids but people might ask like oh why are you putting testosterone on etc so then I have to explain the whole story um, and then that comes out and then once people know about it other people sometimes make jokes and I think it's because they've seen me make a joke about it that they sometimes think it's like cool to make a joke about it whereas obviously with you Jake no one's going to even attempt to make a joke about your mum in a sense. Why not? I mean, 
because they don't want it's to. Disres- it's seen as disrespectful. <laughs> yeah. And ultimately, like, I personally wouldn't make a joke about it because your mum had a position in not only your life, but she also had a position in everyone else's. Like, I saw your mum as a second yeah. mother. So, because she's your mum, you're allowed to grieve however you want. But I wouldn't make a joke about that because I wouldn't feel right in doing so. Because, yeah, that's not how I would cope with well, something. Not... But it's not my actual mum, so I don't I... feel like I'm in a position to make that kind of joke. Whereas yeah, your own mum's I, so nev- I never made the joke. I never made a joke, but sometimes some of the shit that Jake comes out with, you couldn't not laugh along in a sense. Oh yeah, I'm not designed. So I'm not I didn't that know I didn't if laugh. that same level of yeah, I'm saying, but I don't know if that same level of coping then they transferred onto us in a sense, like just laughing it off. I think it's it's always and, fun to make people awkward. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, but yeah. is that at the expense of yourself then to not get it like awkward? It's just or a coping. About people people do that in every every walk, whether it's black people yeah. calling themselves names before someone else does, or a larger than life person calling themselves larger than life before someone else calls them larger than life. Is yeah. that a euphemism for so fat? Just, it could be. <laughs> or tall. Yeah. I mean... Or just annoyingly loud. Yeah, I mean, yeah. humans are very simple On yeah. when you think about it. So, I think I've asked you this before. Well, I don't know, because in terms of time after um your mum passing away like i know that there's we we went to the funeral and but i like how do you go to the, the cemetery and and stuff like that like i've you've never kind of like reached out to one of us and be like hey do you want to come along or something like that so how have you kind of like do you prefer to keep to yourself and rather not talk about it and you know keep it separate um, that's a good question I don't know I mean everybody handles it differently and for instance my dad broke a hole in the fence so he could go when the cemetery shut every night just in case he couldn't get there before to. work yeah so he would go and sit by the grave every night kind of thing but for me hmm. it was more out of sight out of mind um, yeah whereas I'd go I'd go on a birthday on Mother's Day on Christmas Day, um, and that's about it, really. I'd... Three times a year. Yeah, I don't really like staring at a stone in the in the floor. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I I've never probably properly had like um, I don't want to say close family member because I don't want people to get offended but like the only person that I've had pass away in my family that I can remember of is my great grandma and you know I was only quite young so obviously that kind of like full emotional connection wasn't really there and I wasn't emotionally intelligent anyway Um, but I'm quite lucky in the sense that I've not had anyone now that I'm older yet pass away so I don't feel like I've experienced that same kind of grief and I don't know how I would respond either in terms of like going to a funeral like i mean when you even thinking about doing a like a, a, a like a bit of a speech at a funeral i wouldn't even know what to say but obviously your speech at your mum's funeral was like amazing we was all crying um because obviously like taz says she was like another mum to us in a sense and we used to spend so much time around your house 
So like I I couldn't even comprehend on like what it's like in a sense to to lose someone yet, and I'm kind of anxious to to see how uh, how I'm going to deal with it. Yeah, well, with my grandma dying not long before, I also did her eulogy. So I did I had like a a practice gig first. Yeah, like, that's I always helpful. Rep, I got my reps in. Got your trial run. Yeah, got my reps yeah. in. I kept in the jokes that worked, got rid of the ones that didn't. Right. <laughs> Practicing. Jobs are good. Yeah. Pre- master, mastering the, uh, master the eulogy. ceremony. Now I just go to ser- uh, to funerals just to do eulogies for people. Yeah. <laughs> Professional. Yeah. Well, my granddad was saying the other day, what was he saying the other day? He was saying something along the lines of like, like years ago, he used to get invited to parties every weekend now every weekend he's getting invited to funerals and he's just like he's getting to that age now where like every other week or every other month or some someone that he knows is just passing away yeah but old and, people say stuff like that all the time yeah but it's like how nonchalant kind of used to it they are and i don't know if that's because they realize the fragility and you know what's left for them in a sense yeah. or whether it's just because they've seen it so much and it doesn't have that much of an impact anymore yeah, what, yeah. but then again it's and, friends uh, isn't it and equally uh, people of that generation have more time because they're retired so like whereas now there's only a percentage of people that we'd make the time to go to their funerals too whereas when you're 80 odd years old and you used to go to the pub with Dave who you haven't seen in 5 years mm. but you find out that he passed you haven't got anything else to do so you probably just end up going to a funeral respects. yeah Seniors day out. I mean, what helped yeah. me with my grandma passing was that she thought, she said to me, "I'm ready," which is which right. is a young person. Yeah. yeah, which is a young person. You can't really comprehend like being ready to die. But I think once you've had, like, we've had like 26 years of this crap, and it's it's hard enough as it is. So once you've had like 85 years of it, you're like, oh, yeah, I, I'll I'll yeah. give it a rest. Take me. Yeah. Let me be peaceful at rest, kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, so, but for, in your, in your, like for your mum, in a sense, obviously, and uh, you've not, I don't know, I can't remember if you explained it at the beginning or not, but she passed due to cancer. And how differently do you think that affected you, that process of, because obviously, your mum kind of deteriorated over time. I remember coming to the hospital and seeing her and she was, when I saw her, she was fine in a sense, but she was just absolutely out of it because of the amount of drugs that they were giving her, pain uh, pain relief and stuff like that. But then after that, I never went back. So I think obviously closer to the end of life, things might have deteriorated even more. So like, did that enhance the kind of like, the pain of the grief in a sense to kind of like watch that happen rather than, you know, someone like your grandma has said like, okay, I'm, I'm ready for this anyway. It's maybe about time. Whereas, you know, your mum might've been taken earlier than you might've expected or anticipated. Yeah. So it's, it's a double-edged sword really. Cause you think, you know, I wish they died in a car crash sometimes because then the memory you have of them is the correct memory. But when it positive, yeah. But when it gets uh, positive, yeah. When it gets dragged out over six months, 
and you just see a person deteriorate into, you know, well, you, like you said, she was never, she never got any better than when you last saw her. It was always more drugs, more, you know, more, mm. less, less of the person. Um, so, yeah, I mean, from that time, the only really th- thing that I have left is a birthday card that I got. Yeah. Um so when she got poorly I was 20 and f- 3 months and she said I'm going to make it to your 21st birthday. And then yeah. On the 22nd of March, 3 weeks before my 21st birthday, she passed away. Um but I got a birthday card on my birthday from her that she'd written yeah um so i think when you only have the memories of that time it really makes the memories a bit cloudier yeah i feel like i'm waffling a little bit but it's really hard to explain like the whole that that whole time when you're watching someone die is the start of the grieving process yeah, and I yeah. don't know if any, not... anyone listens. Yeah, but yeah, it's, that, that makes sense because it's, it's kind li- of like. Sorry, go on. No, no, go on. No, I was just saying that obviously, grief can be an instant reaction, but for you and your circumstances, it's a little bit different. You were like somewhat trying to mentally prepare yourself for something that you can't mentally prepare yourself for. So yeah. it was just one of those things that you were aware of possible consequences and outcomes, but you were in limbo in a sense because you, yeah, you don't really know what's going on. Yeah. And even and... the positives that you might receive from like the doctors and stuff. Um, like I remember early on, they, they, they mentioned that it was, it was good that they found it because it could have got a lot worse, a lot quicker. So you, you would effectively given a little bit more time than, than you could have had. But at the same time, it could always have been sooner Although you, you're always going to be thinking, what if so then you're just stuck in limbo for the whole period and you don't really know what's going on or how to feel or what to do yeah and in terms of the five yeah. stages of grief i think before someone dies but you know they're dying you also experience all five of those stages of grief yeah. and then you experience them in a different way afterwards mm. yeah. much like and when when you find out the diagnosis you deny it then you get angry then you'd be like, oh, I could, we could have found it sooner. Then you like realise, you know, that's going to happen, and then you kind of accept it. So it yeah, definitely... and it's all circumstantial as well. Like depending on the environment, like if you were spending time with your mum, then you'd probably try and rein in some emotions. Like I can remember when we went to the hospital um, a couple of weeks before uh, your mum passing, we was all in the room with her, and we were all relatively upbeat and happy. Well, not happy, but like in good spirit. And your dad was still making jokes and stuff like that, continuing as normal or as normal as it was at that time. But then once we were out of that environment and out of the room, emotions got the better of everyone. So circumstances make a big difference in how you deal with forms of grief, I'd imagine. Like you you try and hold in crying 
to try yeah. and not put on a brave face. Yeah, and then you, it gets to a point where you can't anymore. Yeah. Much like if I was at the hospital, you know, you you, you try your best to enjoy yourself, but when you go home, because I'd be at home alone or with Luke, it was it was a different story. But yeah. you want you want more an autopilot than than anything else. Yeah, I think a lot. A, yeah, cause a lot. Of, a lot going yeah, on. I think a lot of people that have been through grief probably will understand that it's more of a it's more of a. Um, Would you say it was like an and like either you, your brain was like in a self protective mode in a sense by going in autopilot, or it was instinctual to kind of just like go yeah. through things. I suppose it depends on the people in the room as well. Because if there's somebody in the room putting on a brave face, you're going to try and also match the brave face. Yeah, it's a bit like a robotic response, isn't it? I mean, and when you were saying that you were waffling and you couldn't really grasp, you know, uh, thing because it was a bit cloudy, one of the kind of like things that comes from depression as well is you can get memory loss in a sense or kind of like amnesia about events or periods of time oh, yeah yeah uh, which is quite c- common so i imagine if you're in that traumatic sense and you say you're in autopilot it's 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 akin to like when you've been far too drunk and sometimes you go on autopilot but you manage to get yourself through a night back home safely or whatever but then when you wake up the next morning it's like none of it even happened and it's just gone in a sense yeah that, that's definitely one of the worst points of grief is the memory loss like yeah. memory loss, I don't know if everyone else feel, feels like that, but my memory loss from that period of time is awful. I don't remember where we went after the hospital, like after we'd been told. I don't remember because I, I had this conversation with my cousin. She had to send me videos and pictures and stuff from that period of time because I don't remember anything. Um, mm. Like there's certain things that stick in your mind. Um, traumatic things, but everything else, no, no idea, not a clue where I was or what day it was. Yeah, and I, I, this is, it's not this reason, but it's kind of like glad why in a reason why you know you guys know that I pretty much keep every picture that I've almost ever taken or been sent in a sense, um, and create this massive library, and I'm glad I was doing this or was in you know, the process of doing this all through third year, because when I had my depression phase then, I can tell you now I wouldn't have remembered half the shit there or even 90% of the stuff because I was in that autopilot mode and just trying to go through day to day. And it's it's kind of, again, it, is that just nature's way of kind of like protecting yourself from stuff so you're not just constantly, in, 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 a, in essence of forgetting it, you're not then replaying it over and over and over and again in your head. And potentially making yourself spiral later down in you know later down in life, or even just a couple of weeks after the incident. Yeah, of course. Um, I want to say on a on a note as well. It's been four years since our friend Brandon passed away as well. I think so. I think it was a very different experience because obviously I didn't. One didn't know know or mix with Brandon very much at school. Mm. Um. Whereas he was, he was still your next door neighbor in a sense. So obviously, you you had a very close relationship. I would imagine with him, Jake. So, 
and that was that was four years ago. So after your mum as well. Yeah, I think I think the Brandon death was was massively different to any other because it it probably hurt nearly as much because he was so young. Yeah, and yeah. I think I think someone's age really does come into play when you think of all the stuff they miss and all the stuff that you know. Yeah, they're not going you, to get you start to experience. To, you start you to do. rationalize all the different things. So like when he passed his partner at the well his partner was pregnant with his child and his various different things that he's was unable to experience unfortunately and me and Carl may not have been as close to Brandon as you were or but we have got some very close friends to us now or even back then who were closer to him so while it was not great for us to feel some form of grief towards someone that we was friends with passing away at a young age it also wasn't great to see a lot of our friends around us have to experience it as well. Yeah, mm. and uh, we've have even, we have even earlier kind of like ones. Um, Bryn at secondary school as well. I think that was my first kind of like. Obviously, that wasn't where I, like because again, I wasn't that close in a sense. But maybe I was, but I didn't feel grief in a sense. But I was obviously very sad uh, when that happened. Um, but I think that's my earliest kind of like exposure to kind of like the fragility of, of life in a sense. Yeah, I think you get robbed of that innocence of life when you realise it's so fragile. Yeah. Because I think I, my first funeral, I was like 10. It was one of my friends' mum who died of MS. And I think I might have been that. I'd have been older than that. I'd have been 13, 12. 13, 14, I reckon. Nah, 30. We'll go with 13. But, like, you still don't realise that you're probably too young to deal with death at that point. Yeah. You think that... You see it in the films and you think, okay, this, like, death's, like, what happens, like, people die in big explosions and whatever. But, actually, death is so much worse than it appears on telly. 100%. Yeah, there's only so much emotion you can feel towards TV and specifically with being young... Uh, my granddad passed in 2005 so i was only 10 that's not that's no age to to understand or compute any form of grief really um depending on the person obviously i had a relationship with my granddad and stuff but i was definitely too young to to properly understand and rationalize what had actually happened um yeah and in terms of in terms of the effects that, that had on me because i was so young didn't didn't necessarily have as last as lasting effects as if it was to happen now. I, I can't really remember my headspace when I was when when I was told the news because I was so young. But I can very much remember how I felt when your mum passed or when Brandon passed because that was something that like affected how I thought. It was a chunk of a part of something that I was involved in just gone. Whereas when you're only ten years old. You know, we're near emotionally intelligent enough to, to kind of feel those kind of things, I guess, depending on who it is. Obviously, it'd be different if one of my immediate, more immediate family passed or anything like that, but I was definitely too young to properly understand what, what was going on. And I think, I know we've we kind of said about the kind of like long drawn out uh, process in a sense um brandon's was a uh, different kind of like opposite to that because it was just so 
because it, it was a, a freak accident in a sense and it just it just happened we, we no one saw it come in so it was a different kind of um shock to the system but then i'm kind of thinking now about uh, throughout the whole covid um saga like people who've had pe- people in care homes in a sense who you know you might have been able to go see or if you know they were ill and they were kind of like end of life as it is you've not even been because i've heard from people they've not been even be able to see even though you said that the kind of like drawn out process and knowing what's to come is painful and difficult some people aren't even being able to get that kind of like luxury to even see the long drawn out process because they're not even allowed into a care home for example or into a hospital so i can't even like even begin to imagine how that affects someone's grief as well especially in that bargaining stage as in like well what happens if you know we wasn't in in covid or uh what if we could have just pulled him out and had him at home or had them at home etc and all these kind of things so i think this it's weird how grief operates because like we've already kind of like said it doesn't even have to be the loss of someone um could it even be the loss of something as well um i i don't know does it does it have to be something living uh, for example what if you had you know a a a ring or or something that was passed down from a you know a, a family member and you lost it does that does, are you grieving for the item in the memory or are you grieving for that person in a sense so i don't really know how far a grief in a, as a you know word or feeling properly extends to what what do you what would you kind of like i know we've read the definition but what would you kind of def- define yourself as as grief i th- i think for it's whatever someone decides grief is i don't think you can really pinpoint you can't really say oh well it's you've lost the ring so you can't grieve over that i think anyone is allowed to decide how they feel and that's one thing you can't really argue with you can't argue with an opinion you can't really argue with how someone feels Otherwise, you yeah. it defeats like the object. Like if you show an empathy towards someone, you can't question how that you can't be like, oh well, it's only a ring. You don't know what that ring means to someone, mm. as an example. So I think grief can be whatever anyone decides it, it is, but it has relations to the loss of something or someone. That's my personal. That's that's how I feel like it was. Do you think we get enough emotional? education as we grow up no like because we have to we kind of have to deal with grief as we come by it instead of understanding the stages and understanding what emotions we're going to feel before we feel them um yeah so in terms of like in a curriculum in a sense to kind of like expose people to grief or yeah i mean if if you knew what to look for example yeah like like you know like sex education is a bit of a taboo subject subject maybe teaching a class or whatever or um a section of curriculum on you know the more obscure things um and maybe giving a lesson on what the five different uh stages of grief are and going through that with a class yeah like i think emotional intelligence is just as important as like physical or mental intelligence kind of thing but i don't think it's even considered 
as a thing. Like I know that my emotional intelligence has gone through the roof over the last three years because I've had to teach myself about how I feel and about my feelings. I think a lot of men in particular don't really acknowledge their feelings or understand them. Um, and I think grief was another one of those things for me. Like I still don't really understand it. Like it's just, it's just there. It's just like a cloud behind your head, if that makes sense. Um, mm. Like a bit of a rain cloud behind you, but because you don't really understand what it is or how you know the best way to deal with it is you it just consume you a lot of the time and i think that's happened to me previous and it will continue to happen to me until you kind of learn what is what is what it is that's making you feel that way yeah and again it's kind of like hard for me to kind of like sometimes understand what your analogies are because I've not been through it but I can under, I can kind of picture it from what you're saying and you know in a sense of trying to learn emotional intelligence or trying to learn about these subjects I think it could be difficult or hard because like you say everyone experiences it differently so how how could you best prepare a, like a, a class uh for how they might be exposed to grief, whether it be, you know, like that, you know, some people lose a pet and they can be strongly affected by it, and then some some children in the class might have already lost one or two or three grandchildren, grandparents, etc. Yeah. Uh, whereas someone like me, I went through whole of school not having anything, so it would have been alien to me, and it might have brought more. It might have brought done more damage than good to some people that have already been through it so i think it's one of them tricky things it's, it's a hard one because a lot of that kind of stuff is taught at homes so for example like the loss of a pet that is going to affect some people more than others like some people might not be that fussed because it's just an animal but some people are really invested in their pets and animals so it would have quite a big effect on them because their pet is just like another family member but I think it's um, quite difficult to kind of rein that into a class because everyone's being taught how to deal with their emotions at home largely and it, them kind of things are taught from an early age and it's hard to teach that out of people as they get older because you somewhat mirror your parents and your immediate circle with things like emotions and you can't really... It'd be quite hard to teach a full class of like 30 students how to deal with emotions when everyone is dealing with things completely differently and all have different experiences, which is probably touching on the topic that Jake mentioned in the mental health podcast, where he people have been to speak to people, but people aren't necessarily always equipped to deal with the complexities of issues sometimes, which is probably why it'd be quite difficult to have those kind of teachings in schools, because we could be talking about dealing with grief and there could be a child in the cap the class that's had to deal with quite a lot of trauma and grief and there could be another child that has had to deal with completely different forms of grief or there could be a couple of people in the class that have lost pets that they're really close to and then others in the class that have also lost pets but they aren't really that bothered so finding that balance i think could be quite hard 
if you teach if you're teaching something just as straight as the five stages though i guess that's kind of easy it's just you yeah. keep it very you know broad spectrum education and try to not give too much of in the terms of like you know ways that people can deal with it or no trying to kind of like suggest actions or whatever just literally give them the raw this is what you could expect these are the stages you know think about these maybe when you get to a point in your life that you have to deal with grief and you can think back to this in a sense like i didn't know what the five stages of grief were and i imagine most people don't find out what the five stages of grief are until they are grieving and then go google google how to deal with grief so i guess you could you could prep people beforehand so that they are emotionally intelligent to be like okay i know that what i'm feeling right now is is anger just because it's kind of like natural whereas maybe when you was going through it jake you didn't understand you might not have understood like you said you kind of taught yourself a lot of your emotional intelligence you might not have understood why you was lashing out or angry about stuff and that can even sometimes affect people's mental health because some people don't like when they feel like they're not being themselves in a sense like i know for example i did i really didn't like when i i felt like i didn't have control of myself in a sense so maybe if you was wise enough from the beginning, you was like, right, okay, this is just natural. This happens to most people. This happens to everyone. You might not be as affected mentally as much as you, you, you potentially could be. Yeah, like you said, I didn't even know what the five stages of grief were until about half an hour before this podcast. And oh, did you not? No, <laughs> and then you read it and you're like, oh, okay, yeah. Sounds about, that makes sounds sense. about right, yeah. But, <laughs> take that, take yeah. that one off, take that one off. <laughs> well you might have prepped me now for you know when the inevitable comes um but when you're talking about pets taz i mean i, I may remember even just um bernard my cat uh we thought he like had lumps all across his body it, he was fine it turns out he just had a, a allergic reaction to fleas mm. but we thought there was something seriously wrong with him so my sister was like in tears and and what have you and i was just like and my response was, well, it's fine. If he has to be put down, it's, he has to be put down. I'd rather that be the case and him not be in pain if there is something wrong with him. Whereas my sister was like, no, no, I'd rather just keep him as he is and just like uh, until he has to pass away naturally kind of thing. So her, how she wanted things, she she valued keeping him going as long as possible. Whereas I was like more my thoughts were I'd rather him be out of pain and be in peace in a sense. So the, the cat was like, obviously, kill me. <laughs> kill me now. Just, I've just been bit by a flea. Your sister just dragging the cat around the house like, you're not dying. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? I mean, like this is this is one of them uh, taboo subjects in, in, the, in the people world, in the human world, of the kind of like euthanasia sense of things. Like people in suffering, Stephen Hawkins said he was suffering... I think if he could and if he, he would have um, gone to one of them kind of like clinics where he could have ended his life in a sense. Yeah. He's... And I think that is a very hard, you know, for me, I can't even, I, I can't even fathom, like not even to be the person in that situation, but to be with someone or be, be closely related to someone who's in that situation where they're like, Things have got so bad in the living life. I want to be able to end my life by choice, in a sense. Yeah, I mean, I was going to make a joke, but it is, <laughs> no, no. Sorry. Basically, it was just about that euthanasia roller coaster that they designed. They were thinking about designing. 
Did you see it? Oh shit! Yeah, I did. I mean, yeah. Well, I saw TikToks. I think about I it. I mean, like, if 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 you're gonna go out on your own terms, go out, go out like that, yeah. Go out on I a mean, high. Yeah, literally. Take take heroin before you do it, and just ride that roller coaster until your neck snaps. <laughs> right? Is that <laughs> what he was meant to do? I don't know. I I assume so. What would you? No, it's it was not. like loads of loop. It was loads of loop the loops. What was it supposed to do? Surely they would have. Maybe it was. Don't they inject a euthanasia thing that kills what, whilst you? Whilst you're on it. No, you get it, and then it takes a couple of minutes for you to to go to sleep, and then boom, you're on the ride. <laughs> one minute, one and a half minutes <laughs> later, everyone's there. At the end of the ride. It's just like a bin at the Imagine end. If you got to the end of the ride and it hadn't kicked in yet, and you just sat at the end waiting, whilst there's like five other people who've obviously just passed out. And no, so or you're on the are. ride with twenty people, and then everyone but you has it, and then you get to the end. And then it's just everyone's dead. The, youth, no, the euthanasia coaster would kill its passengers through prolonged cerebral hypoxia. Yeah, it would basically go so fast around the loops that all the blood would go to your feet and then you'd just fucking pass out. That's what it'd be. Yeah. A bit like if you see them astronauts and fighter jet pilots in them things that spin around at like 8 Gs. They're told to kind of like clench their ass and clench their legs to get blood constantly circulating around to the head and the heart kind of thing. I guess it would just have so many Gs going around all them loop-de-loops that you just fl- like flood all of the blood out of your brain and you just kind of like starve it to death of oxygen and die. Yeah, I think when I seen those machines, that's when I realised I couldn't be an astronaut. But apparently, I don't know if it's true or not, I might be completely making this up, but that kind of, that sensation is, is like um, almost euphoric in a way. So, you know, with that going that hypoxic in a sense, like you can go kind of like do lally in a sense. So it might be a, um, what's the word? Like a good way to go out. Apparently I've never been on a roller coaster before. <laughs> I'm just looking at your name in the Discord as well. It's Coaster Roller. Yeah, that's it. Um, but back on euthanasia, I mean, I do think it's a good idea. Mm. I do think that it has a place in society because if we can see the suffering in animals and we can make that decision for an animal, down. yeah, we can put them down and make that decision for them. Why is someone that can see their own suffering, can they not make that own decision for themselves? Do you think it's religious reasons? I think, imagine, I imagine previously it might have been religious reasons, a bit like... You know, the right to have an abortion, in a sense, um, I think is originally, I mean, I might have completely changed shit here, but I imagine a lot of the opposing was because of religious le- reasons um, and pro-life arguments. So, I mean, that's... No, because look... You're en- ending something's life before it began. Why can't you end someone's life towards the end of their life uh, when they're ready for it, in a sense? Yeah, I mean, why don't we age like Benjamin Button? Or the other way around. Yeah, that would also be fun. But yeah, we should be able to. Um, I mean, we technically do anyway. We just don't look. We we don't. We just don't look like a baby. <laughs> you you being a baby at the beginning, a baby, and and being like old at the end can be similarish things in a sense. Yeah, because you shit yourself. And people sometimes have to look after for for you. You know, sometimes you 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 know. 
memory isn't the greatest and all these different kind of things, depending on how old you get you, before you pass away. you like to be breastfed? Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Truth. Oh, God. See, look, this is the kind of shit, listeners, that Jake used to came out with to deal with grief when he was going through it. Look, I'm awkward. We're talking about dead people, Kyle. <laughs> Leave me alone. But you... you um. Oh, it's it, uh, it. There's people that are like that, though, isn't there? That when when people say stuff that they don't know how to compute it in the head, all they can do is laugh, or they just say um, something like really off the cuff and awkward, like when you said at work to a colleague that did you say that your mum passed, and then their reply was, "Oh, my mum always died." Yeah, <laughs> my mum almost died. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah confided in this colleague. Oh, my mum passed away. Oh yeah, my mum always died. <laughs> is that uh, is that like they? Oh, I've got friends who are black. Yeah. Oh, cheers, mate. Kind of like argument. Yeah. Thanks for letting me know. <laughs> cheers. <laughs> um, what else? Uh, a story that's very close to my heart that I always I think about a lot. I think when dealing with grief, you do think about a lot of situations specifically. Um, what do you mean? So like obviously these big pillar moments that happened during your I will call it the mini grieving period when you when you when you're finding out that someone's dying the mini grieving period yeah. I think a lot of key things stick in your mind but a lot of the non-key things just completely go so there's like little things like the first time I've ever cried with my dad like that that was a you you remember that so pivotally pivotally because it's not yeah. something you've ever really done before it's a new experience yeah. yeah and then little things like seeing a dead body for the first time that's that's strange have you I don't think I have you ever seen a dead body Taz yeah I saw my granddad yeah it's, it's weird black funerals that have open casket anyway so I've seen a few dead bodies yeah and it's like but like they're just it's the same person, but they're cold. Mm. But then soulless and lifeless. Yeah, and like a, a bit grey. Well, white dead people are a bit grey. I don't know about black dead people. Uh, no, my my any black dead person that I've seen was uh, they were still brown. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's one thing I said to my mum when she was dead was, "I'll look after my brother and my, and my dad." Like yeah. I took on that. Are you withholding that promise? No. Oh. <laughs> I took on that you're second parental role. Hmm? I said you're a liar. What do you mean I'm a liar? I said you're a liar and you're not. You you, you said that you were going to do it and you're still going to do it. Well, I still feel like I am doing it. Like, yeah, exactly. Emotion- yeah, like emotionally, I hold myself back to make sure those two are okay, kind of thing. Of course, mm. but that and that that was that was on my fault. That was my fault because I then felt like that was a promise I had to keep. Not put like much like she would do for us, put us first. I did for them, so I think that's a something that you you don't realize until you come into like the acceptance part of grief that you're the important person here. So, 
whereabouts are you in the cycle that we've newly learnt about, or do you say, or do you think you kind of like flutter in between phases? I think you definitely hit a few of the phases um, every so often, but I would say I'm definitely in the acceptance point now. Yeah, I think, and I feel for anybody that's going through it freshly, like it's the hardest thing you'd ever have to do. And I mean, you can even grieving grieving a miscarriage or grieving a parent's death or grieving a spouse's death. I mean, it's it's all some of the most awful things you can probably experience as a as a person. Like, yeah, I can't, I can't even, like, I don't think us can, as men, can even you know, begin to think about what grieving a miscarriage is like. I know you can only experience it from a men's perspective, but I I imagine it's way more powerful from from obviously the woman's perspective. Yeah. Well a miscarriage yeah. and abortion either. Like and I, yeah, that's definitely a part of grief that's probably mansplained a lot. I think that that yeah. that side of grief isn't really acknowledged at all. Really, it's not, you, it's kind of expected that women just get over it. Well, it's one of the things that I think is it's it's like it's like um, it's one of the topics that people like don't want to hear about in a sense. Like, if someone's to talk about it, it's like, well, they don't even really want to talk about it in a sense. And I don't know if that's because maybe women do talk about it to each other and don't talk to men about it so openly. Like, obviously, it's not a nice thing to talk about anyway. But I've never really heard in depth or in detail anything really ever about miscarriage or abortion or anyone's ex- experience or thoughts on it. Um, and from a guy's perspective, I've never really heard anyone have a strong per- uh, perception of it from a guy's experience either, whether it's they've experienced it or just think about it. Um, yeah, I, so I think... Like, do women talk to each other a lot about it in depth? Obviously, because they know how to experience it with each other. And then the only man that they would really experience it to is their other half. Because I, I don't know. Possibly. Yeah, it's a hard one. But like, I've never spoken to anyone about it. So, but like, when when a when an a person that's born dies, especially yeah. someone that's like a close relative, you get days off work or whatever. But actually. When it comes to women, that kind of that side of grief, which grief debilitates nearly everybody it touches, so w- whether it's someone that's alive or someone that's not alive yet that they're grieving for, that kind of same kind of acceptance and allowance should be given on both sides, and I think that's one side of grief education that people don't actually empathize with at all. Well, yeah, on that point of education, I was just thinking, it's like, well, in terms of that kind of like prepping people, it's like, because it's such a thing that no one talks about. I wouldn't even know how to feel or operate or even try to, you know, think rationally or mitigate a situation if I was with someone and they had a, and that are we, and they have the miscarriage, but in a sense, you, we have the miscarriage, don't you? Because it's both of you together trying to have the child. Um, so like I wouldn't even know how to approach that, and obviously my I think my first natural response would be to either go to to, to speak to my my mum in a sense, um, like obviously I can go speak to my dad, but that's the same kind of like 
I don't ask my dad how to, you know, console or comfort my other half. Um, so my natural response would be to go to my mum in a sense for for a, a, like a first-hand experience or opinion on something. Yeah. And how 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 in the grief sense is that like how how have you either dealt with that or not dealt with that with like I've just said there and I take for granted the fact that I could just go speak to my mum in a sense. Yeah. Like how how does that work for you, Jake? Well, it's something so a lot the one of the saddest things about losing a parent is the fact that, you know, they'll never see you get married. They'll never see you go to uni, they'll never see you have kids, they'll never be a grandparent, they'll never get to watch if it's a girl, get to watch you walk down the aisle. Um, so stuff like that is some of the hardest stuff about grief that you, that's part of the acceptance stage is really accepting the fact that, that that's never going to happen um, yeah that was some of the hardest stuff for me to actually deal with you know you, it was someone that you can come home to and ask questions to and you know get answers but when that person's not there anymore yeah, it's weird, and I think it depends on who, who you lose. Yeah, and at what point in your life you grieve certain things. Because like, if if you to like lose a sibling, it's like the things that you would grieve in that sense wouldn't be what you would grieve for like a parent. Because like for a, a parent, there's that kind of like knowledge and wisdom and just going back to them and the things that you want to do to make them proud. In a sense, a, a sibling. You know, you're maybe not going to them for that knowledge and wisdom and experience, but you know, you, the knowledge that they had a whole life the same as you do to live, you you can you grieve that and their potential. Um, just generally, when you were the sibling, depending on who you are and how your family is, you spent a lot of the time growing up with that person. Um, probably even more than you spend time with with parents in a sense, because you know you're out playing or maybe at the same school every day and all that kind of stuff. So, and and then a grandparent, maybe the grieving is is still hard, but a little bit less because you've got that realism that they're they're a bit older and they've had the life to live um, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. It, There's different gaps in there. Different avenues in which grief can go, yeah. And I think I've only experienced a fraction of it. And I'm, like I said earlier, I'm quite anxious and worried to know how I'm going to react once these events start to come around. Yeah. yeah. My emotions are quite I think having conversations like it should make it yeah. probably quite I think having these conversations with, with you, Jake, are giving me that emotional education at least and prepping me for to trying to think about these events and what I might do and how I might act. Yeah, I think probably the most important bit of advice I could ever give from going through it is like you were saying earlier, take more photos. Take just memories. Take as many take yeah. take videos. Take as many videos as you can. Like, well, I've still got a video of your mum doing that thing where she goes, <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah, which was funny, and that's just a that's a happy memory in a sense. Yeah, definitely. I think, and I've come across that a couple of times in my little library of videos, and I just it puts a little smile on my face, and it's a good memory of Deb. Yeah, I think videos. Yeah, definitely. That's probably the only thing I would say, and I think anyone going through 
this the what I've been through or what I'm still experiencing. Uh, what advice would I give? See, because I didn't didn't talk to nobody, didn't seek any professional help while it was going on. I think I wish I did that earlier, so I could have um, understood a bit better. Yeah, so it, it would have allowed me to process the grief sooner, because I did feel like twenty one for three years. I felt like I was twenty one for three years. Like my development really slowed down as a as a human. And I yeah. don't know if you can comprehend that at all, but it just always felt like using stasis. Yeah, for three years. Yeah, very yeah, much ma- so. That makes sense. To be fair, very much so. Like I was still trying to live the life I was at twenty-one, so I didn't have to accept the fact that I wasn't twenty-one, and my mum was dead. If that makes sense. Yeah, I can imagine that was maybe like the maybe the bargaining phase in a sense. Maybe there was just you know, questioning a lot of things and trying to hold on to things throughout the whole that whole period. Well, it's probably a prolonged denial stage. Bargaining and oh, I was a denial. Yeah. I think that definitely was a prolonged denial stage. And I think that's probably the hardest stage. Um because you're not allowing yourself to actually get any better. Because yeah. it's stopping you feeling any kind type of way. And I do wish I went to the cemetery more. I wish, you know, it, she was a topic of conversation more. But it's a weird one because you don't really, you know that you're the only, you're the center of your own universe kind of thing. Hmm. So you're, you feel like most of the time you're the only one that would be bothered. But actually people do enjoy talking about it and do enjoy, you know, reliving memories too. Mm-hmm. But that's what you have to kind of teach yourself when you get to the acceptance stage is that you might feel guilty for talking about it because you feel like that's the only thing that not the that's the thing that you have most to talk about, but actually you don't feel like you want to cloud everybody with how you feel, but actually people do yeah. want to talk about it with you, so that's an important thing for people that are going through it to really remember that you know everyone around you that was in that person's life still wants to speak about that person yeah it's not like a taboo mm. and it's not like it's only awkward if it's made awkward and you can you can probably normalize conversations about it because at the end of the day that like your mum is still a human being so having that conversation about your mum that we've all experienced is just a normal conversation yeah, and it, it's not seen as a normal conversation until you accept what's happened. Yeah, of course. I think that 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 reminds me of a like a quote about death in a sense is that every person has two deaths: the one when they actually um, die in a physical form, and then the second time that they die is when that the last time their name or memory is uttered. So I think it's nice to, you know like we're doing today sometimes revisit the memories and and keep that person alive in a sense um and like i've said just like with that video i've got and and some pictures of deb's like it just brings it all back in a sense um so i think it's it's kind of like a a service in respect to them to sometimes to sometimes 
go back about things and and remember them in in, in a way because that keeps them alive in that second sense. Yeah, I, I agree. I really do agree with that. I think it is important to do that and yeah, I don't really have much else to say. I'm a bit mentally drained now. I mm. think I don't yeah. I don't think it's a topic of conversation that I ever really talk about or for a prolonged period of time have to actually think about my feelings. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. But and I can tell just the way that you've spoke as well and we'll wrap it up quite shortly but I could tell like just by the way that you're talking and the sentence structure that is a lot of mental power to kind of trying to remember things and form them sentences so I can understand and and, and kind of like empathize with you that it is hard to kind of like try recap all of this stuff so I, I mean it's nice for me to to finally, in a sense, hear you talk about these things and understand where you're coming from and um, understand how you feel. Um, it it makes it easier for for me to kind of like understand why you might say or act certain ways sometimes. Um, and there's this kind of like, there's still this kind of, even though you've got acceptance, obviously it's still a thing and it's obviously going to bear over your mind every so often. So it, it, I'm glad that you've talked about it and been so open about it and used this as an opportunity to speak to us too about it anyway. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's it's positive that you can speak to, so, to us on something that's such a normal topic. And we talk a lot about normalising this and normalising that, but you can only normalise something if you treat things as normal. And the conversation we've had today, to me, is just the normal conversation that we could have any time. So... Yeah, and I think I say a takeaway from this conversation for me, if we're given takeaways, a takeaway for me is that the way that you just said there, Jake, that you didn't really want to talk about it because you feel like you didn't want everyone to talk about it all the time. In a sense, I guess there is an element of that, but I think the way that people blow it up in their minds, I think people should feel a bit more comfortable if they if they are grieving and want to approach someone to talk about it, to just do it instead of trying to bottle it up in a sense yeah um, death death is so tabooed and like the word death scares a lot of people yeah people 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 think they're inconveniencing someone else to talk about something they're grieving about and i i i, th- I think that's something that's you know socially driven into us but i think it's people whole... will be surprised that people will want to speak about it and help you and if they care about you in a sense yeah it's the whole time and place kind of thing people will decide that there's a time and a place to do this there's a time and a place to do that there's a time and a place to talk about that but in reality there's never really a right time for for anything really you just gotta somewhat live in the moment there's not a right time to talk about the passing of your mother there's not a right time to tell someone that you have a mum there's not a right time to tell someone that you've griefed about something just yeah it's just it's just one of those things isn't it at the end of the day like even with at work and stuff like that you're always going to get yourself in some form of awkward situation. Like, say, if you've started a new job and then you've got a new boss and they're talking to you about, oh, like, what do your mum and dad do? You you might then get in your head and think, oh, would it have been a better time if I told him that my mum passed as soon as I got the job so that I avoid this awkward situation now where I've got to tell him blah, blah, blah. Just yeah, reinforces well, the I've idea had... that it's not really a right time. 
Yeah, I've had that, I think, three times since I've joined this last job. Exactly. Fact that, I remember being you know, in the office with you. Yeah, you never feel like there's the right time to actually mention it to people. But that is a piece of advice for people that are going through it again, is that actually you should probably just say it and just say it how it is because you're going to get awkward times where people mention it and it's going to happen again and again and again because people just don't know and it's they're not going to know um, yeah. what's gone it's in your people life. people are off. When people are yeah, off working, they come back and someone's like, oh, where have you been, Skyvin? And they're like, oh, I was actually at this person's funeral. And it's like, oh. Yeah. And you just kind of got to forgive people for that and like not hold it against them. Like I've had people three years later like ask how my mum's doing and stuff like that. And it's like... It's, an, it's 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 one of them where you just got to bite the bullet and be like, yeah. And sometimes I do it to like make people feel awkward. I go, she's she's dead. Yeah, you do do that. Yeah. <laughs> and I, which is why people it, don't believe. I remember we was in a club and you were like, you told some someone that your mum had passed. Oh, I like, remember that. Nah, we was in don't believe you. Yeah, you're lying. You're just saying that. And we was all like, but he's not. His mum's passed away. Nah, he's lying. I can tell he's lying. Look at him laughing. <laughs> Turns out he were. Yeah, because in it. Yeah, but that is. Do you think that's a, a, like come from that whole thing of like when people used to say your mum jokes, and then people would go, "Yeah, but mum's dead," and then people would stop and be like, shocked, and they were like, "No, nah, I'm joking. My mum's not actually dead. I'd got you though." Like I feel like that is maybe ingrained into some people at this age that people have used that joke so flippantly. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I don't be using I don't use jet. them jokes. Flippant, nah, man, I can't do that. But a lot of people definitely do. Yeah, Oops. I was definitely I was watching, did. and I think I was watching a comedian even the other day. Was it a, a, a it was it was some documentary I was watching, and he lost his mum when he was young, and he said when he would go to school, and the kids would run around the playground saying your mum jokes, and he said that really affected him. And that, re- that yeah. really, res- I can't remember who it was. It was someone famous. Oh, Joey Essex. It was oh, Joey Essex. Hmm. And he basically said like he was the only kid that he just completely understood the your mum jokes. Like he they would, he would go home and it would it upset him because that was the thing. But like kids don't know stuff like that either. Like that's, it's so nonchalant from our society that Saying stuff like that is just a joke. Yeah, and when we used to get told off by teachers, and then you just be like, "Yeah, but it's just a joke." Like you don't understand it. You don't have the emotional intelligence of that age. Yeah, I think. But yeah, that's a good documentary, by the way. If anyone wants to watch that, the Joey Essex one on BBC. <laughs> um, does do either of you two? Well, Taz, do you have a takeaway um, from this? I I know that obviously Jake. I mean, he's told most of the story anyway, so I guess he already has all of his takeaways. Uh, probably the main takeaway for me is I'm not an overly picture-video kind of guy. And Hannah always tells me off for not taking pictures. But I suppose if anything unfortunate was to happen, I'd definitely look back and think, I wish I had more. So that's probably yeah. something I'll take away. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's something that I'm quite glad my cousin she did a lot take pictures take videos and stuff like that and that's a lot of the from our last christmas together that's where a lot of my happier memories come from from that time because i can look back at those videos and you know 
she was still bold in that, but it was it was like the last video memory of the person. You're that such a fucking idiot, man. Fuck. What? She's still bold in that. Yeah, she was, but it she was bold, Taz. She was going through chemotherapy. Was it chemotherapy or radiotherapy? It's Radio. the way that both. he says the she things had, that he says. She had both. All oh, right. Not, but uh, yeah, not the facts. What I can't, I can't say that she was bold, Taz. Does that make you feel awkward? Does death make you feel awkward, Taz? No, <laughs> it does, mate. I can see his little face grinning. <laughs> not that it makes me feel awkward, but the way that you you choose to pronounce some of the the things that you say. Yeah, just bold in that. Insensitive sometimes. Well, it's yeah, not it, is. A, yeah. it is. It could be perceived as insensitive. It just makes me laugh at this point because that's just what you do. It's, it's, it is a little bit of a shame there's no video content to these podcasts because I bet Taz tried so long to hold that like. <laughs> yeah, because it took him so long before he stopped, He said anything. He was just sat there like... <laughs> uh, don't laugh, this is serious, this is serious, don't laugh. Yeah, it's fine, I just moved away from yeah. the mic. <laughs> but that's slightly what, that's slightly what Jake kind of like enjoys a little bit sometimes is making people awkward knowing it but yeah, yeah. to be fair it, I mean we all get we all enjoy it especially when we're not on the receiving end and so it's someone new and then Jake just comes out yeah. with the, the madness and then they just feel awkward and we just all sit there and knowing the inevitable is going to come and then it comes <laughs> yeah that is weird isn't it that we know the we know the situation and yeah people are not ready like even people's new new girlfriends or new boyfriends in the group and there's going to be a point when jake breaks it up and then he'll just say it so jokingly and then they'll be like oh you're fucking with me and then we'll all be there kind of like laughing knowing because jake's gonna about to say it or said it and then they don't believe it even more and then jake's like no seriously and then we're just like and then they're just even more awkward because they know that we're all not in on it but like we know what's going on so that's what I'm here for. So you alienate them. Yes, you're great at doing that, Jake. Alienating people. Making people. Alienating and making them awkward, yeah. Well, if you can't handle the heat, get out of the kitchen. Get out of the fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, that's Jake's takeaway from, from this whole conversation. Yeah, and go to therapy too. That's a good one. That's a good one. All right. Right. Peace. <laughs> Is that how we ending it, Jake? <laughs> I mean, can't you give your takeaway? Well, I've done my takeaway. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I said the bit about... I can't remember what I said now, but I did my takeaway. Anyway, uh, that's been us from the 21st Century Men's Podcast. We're not just ending it with peace like Jake was trying to attempt to. Uh, go check us out on Instagram. Follow us. We've got Facebook as well. Uh, go see any of the posts. We're trying to get better with the social media stuff. Um, but yeah, give us a comment. Talk about your experiences. And... Tune in for the next one. Peace. Thank you very much. Peace. <laughs> Peace.